Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go, folks. Another episode of Positively Track with your hosts, me, Dan Gunther, and of course, my partner in crime, Bruce Gibson. Bruce, what new exciting episode of Star Trek are we talking about this week? Um, none. But that, no, that can't be right. There's, none. Wait, there's, there's no new Star Trek this week? What? No, this is like, picture yourself 49 weeks ago. Huh. And that's what it was like when you didn't have any new Star Trek, but you had new Star Trek coming out a week later. But in this case, you have no new Star Trek this week or next week. And who knows when we're going to get new Star Trek? Uh, I, I don't know what that, I don't know how to cope with that. I don't know what that feels like. Oh man. Um, crazy. Well, we're going to have to find something to talk about this week. And I think it's going to be the last 48 weeks of Star Trek. That's right, folks. 48 straight weeks of Star Trek. If only they'd overlapped just one more episode, it could have been 47 weeks of Star Trek, but they missed the Star Trek magic number by one, but that's okay. Uh, We're going to talk about some of our favorite moments and things that we loved and didn't love so much about this record-breaking stretch of new Star Trek. But before we do that, we do have some news to get to, and Bruce... You just mentioned we don't know when new Star Trek is coming. No, we don't, because I haven't listened to the news on this podcast yet. Well, this is going to blow your mind, because right before we started recording this, and we're recording this episode fairly early, so I'm really glad we got this piece of news just in time. We know now when Star Trek Lower Decks is coming back for Season 3, and that's going to be the next Star Trek we get, Season 3 of Lower Decks. And that is coming just next month on August 25th. So, Bruce, are you... This is the silliest question in the world. We all know the answer to this. Are you excited for season three of Lower Decks? I am because, first of all, I'm excited about Lower Decks. I'm also excited that I know when to get excited about Lower Decks. So we have this break until this new episode comes out. And I also am excited the fact that this date really works for me because by that time I would have just dropped my daughter off at college. My, my oldest will go earlier and then my second earlier that week. And so we should be, cause I'm getting ready to book the tickets. We should be flying back maybe like the day before on, nice. you know, on the 24th. So that means I'll be home, wake up the next morning and can watch this. That's exciting. That's really cool. I'm really excited for this. I'm actually really glad we get a bit of a break here. I've enjoyed, obviously, the last however many, 48 weeks, I think we said, of Star Trek. New episodes, sometimes two new episodes in a week of various series and stuff. But it's nice to take a bit of a breather. And, you know, for you, like you said, some major life events happening in in your family and stuff. It's kind of nice to be able to just step back from the Star Trek for a little bit and enjoy those moments. But 
you know, we don't want to stay away from Star Trek for too long because that would be crazy. So, yeah, August 25th, we get Lower Decks Season 3. And they also released this key art for the third season, which I love. It's kind of a riff on the Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock movie poster with Rutherford's face taking the place of Spock in the background. We have the Cerritos battling with what looks to be a Romulan warbird from Star Trek Nemesis, like that style, with Tendi, Mariner, and Boimler in the foreground there. I love this poster, and I'm thinking, based on what happened in the finale of Season 2 and the little hints and teases we've gotten about Season 3, this poster does actually reflect a little bit of what we might expect in season three plot wise. Oh wait, are we saying that he's going to die? Rutherford's going to die like <laughs> Spock did? I really hope not. I hope not that part of it, but I was thinking more of them like having to steal the enterprise to go off on their mission in Star Trek three. And we had that clip a little while ago, that teaser from mission Chicago, where they were talking about stealing the Cerritos and, and all that sort of stuff. So I, I really hope this doesn't portend Rutherford dying or, or something, but I mean, <laughs> you know, it's Star Trek, so he'll just come back. Thankfully that's, that's, that's the good part, I guess. The search for Rutherford. That's what this is. So do you think they picked this poster because it's from Star Trek three and this is Lower Decks three for season three? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. That's kind of the obvious one. We've got the big Roman numeral three behind there. But I think plot wise, they're going to to have some thematic things link as well. I That's my guess anyway. No, I think you're right, because I do remember how the season ended with this mystery of Rutherford. So I, I'm going to assume just if I'm looking at this poster that, yeah, something's going to happen where maybe he runs off and they have to go look for him to get him come back or he gets kidnapped or he gets lost or something like that where they have to search for him. There's, I'm just going to assume that's what's going to happen. I'm honestly trying to rack my brain, though. You mentioned a mystery with Rutherford at the end of the season, and I don't remember that at all. What what was that about? Well, the thing about like in his head, there was and then he had that vision of oh, his background or something. That's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right on. I was I was focused on the um, the them rescuing Captain Freeman because she's been uh, arrested and stuff. I totally forgot about that Rutherford thing. I, I'm really going to have to rewatch season two now, which is actually good timing because I've been seeing on social media, people are getting their copies of season two on Blu-ray in the mail today. So uh, that's, that's been happening a lot. So yeah, I'm waiting for mine to show up. It hasn't shown up, but you know, we have this period of time. We have no new Star Trek, so we can devote it to watching season two before season three starts. Yeah, I'm, I really need to catch up on that. Maybe during this fallow time, like you said, of Star Trek, that would be a good time to do that for sure. So, oh man, ah, I totally forgot about Rutherford. That's I, ooh, now I'm now my theories are really kind of spinning out of control here. Yes, yes. But he'll still be alive, I'm sure. I think so. Yeah, for sure. He won't have to fight some person on a dark mountain or something. Whatever Shax was saying happens when you die in the Star Trek universe. And maybe uh, Shax will die again and come back. Could be. Yeah. Maybe that'll be like every other season that happens with him or something. Well, yeah. So August 25th, we'll be sure to talk about these new episodes as they come out. And I'm really excited about that. 
But we also, for other Star Trek on television, have some news to report, and that is some Emmy nominations for both Star Trek Picard and Strange New Worlds. So between the two of them, they have garnered a total of five Emmy nominations, four for Star Trek Picard and one for Strange New Worlds. So uh, for season two of Star Trek Picard, they are nominated for Outstanding Period and or Character Makeup, Non-Prosthetic, also for Outstanding Prosthetic Makeup, Outstanding Sound Editing for a Comedy or Drama Series, and Outstanding Fantasy Slash Sci-Fi Costumes. And for season one of Strange New Worlds, they have one nomination for outstanding sound editing for a comedy or drama series. So, you know, nothing in the um, acting or or that sort of side of the Emmys, unfortunately, but getting in there in the technical awards as Star Trek usually does, right? This is a little interesting to me because I would have thought that Strange New Worlds would have had more than one nomination. It's, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising to me. And maybe because when they had to submit things for nominations, Strange New World was just starting and maybe, I don't know. I, I just find that quite interesting. But, you know, I, I like the technical awards, but it's like so many times fantasy and sci-fi shows or movies typically do get nominated for their special effects and makeup and costumes and things like that. And it's, you know, sad that we rarely ever get any other kind of nomination, you know, best series or, you know, best actor, supporting actor, best directing, or like we hardly ever hit that. And, you know, again, it's great, the technical awards, but, you know, I wish these series got recognized for more than just that. I agree. I mean, you know, I, I, I have thoughts on some of the performances, for example, in the last number of seasons of Star Trek that we got over the last year. And I think a lot of them are more than deserving of at least a nomination or consideration on some level. And directing, I think there's some incredibly well-directed episodes, writing, all of that. And it is unfortunate that those don't seem to... The, the sci-fi and fantasy genre doesn't seem to attract nominations or recognition in those areas, which I, I think is a huge blind spot when it comes to things like the Academy Awards and the the Emmys and that sort of thing. Uh, and I do also have to say the fact that Discovery and Lower Decks, you know, they kind of weren't really recognized for anything. They weren't nominated in any category. Uh, I, I think they deserved some recognition there as well. So isn't, th I mean, there's animation Emmy awards. Mm -hmm. I mean, and maybe that, that category wasn't part of this release of nominations, but uh, yeah, I'm surprised we haven't seen anything like that. I actually, we have, uh, I guess, three now, three Emmys at work. And we won one of a couple, well, I guess three or four years ago. And uh, I have pictures of me holding the Emmy. So I'm going to post that picture and say that I won it for best actor in a Star Trek series. There you go. I love it. <laughs> I've always won an Emmy. That was always my dream. And even though our company has one, I don't have one. I want mm. my own Emmy. Well, I, I want to see you get an Emmy for your outstanding comedy special that is going to be on Netflix someday or something like that. That's what I want to see. <laughs> well, that's so funny, though. You said that, Dan, and I'll go 
mention this really quickly here, but I did some stand-up way back in the day in the 90s, and I'm getting ready to do it again officially. Uh. I actually have some things lined up uh, coming up here in the next month or two. So there you go. I'm really excited. I, I really, honestly, I'm hoping that leads to like recognition and your own, like I said, Netflix comedy special or something like that. That would be awesome. Yes. <laughs> I'd be like, I know that guy. I know that guy. <laughs> so give me some material so I can use it in the stand-up stuff. There you go. Well, I'll do my best. I'm I'm not known as a funny guy, but you know, I'll, I'll see what I can think of. Well, maybe I'll get some ideas from Lower Decks. There you go. Yeah. Based on... and. We talked about that clip from last week, and uh, we included it in the show notes for other people to watch. And you and I both hadn't watched that clip at the time. I assume you have since then. That's funny. I I love Lower Decks. It's just so hilarious. So everyone should check that out if they haven't already. It's, uh, it, yeah, Lower Decks is going to be back to its regular form, I think. Yeah, and I'm sure at some point it will get an Emmy nomination eventually. Yeah, I mean, it was nominated in season one, I see, but uh, no nominations for season two, which is <clears throat> unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, these Emmy people don't know what they're talking about. Well, Bruce, what do you say we take a look at some of what the Emmy people were supposed to notice over the last few seasons of Star Trek that we got over the last year? and talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and our thoughts after 48 weeks of new Star Trek episodes right after this break. This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our wonderful supporters on Patreon, including our Constitution class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, Carl Morris, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, Jesse Earl and Justin Ozer, thank you all so much for your support of Positively Trek. If you would like to become a patron of the show, go to patreon.com slash positively trek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash positively trek. Thank you all once again. And now let's get back to the show. So 48 weeks of Star Trek, which includes 53 episodes, 52 if you count the first episode of Prodigy as one episode. But if you split that out into part one and part two, 53 separate episodes spread across, what do we have now, five different series? This was wild. This is a record-setting run for Star Trek. And now we get a bit of a break. So what are your kind of thoughts just not having new Star Trek this Thursday, looking back at all of this old Trek that we've spent the last almost full year watching. Honestly, I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, <laughs> just because we, we have had so much Star Trek and it's, that's not a complaint. I mean, I would love to have a new episode of something Star Trek this week and every week for the rest of my life, I would be perfectly happy with that. But because we've had so much, I don't mind the break, you know? I mean, it's not going to be a long break. I mean, August is going to be here before we know it. So I like that it gives me some time to catch up on other things like my rewatch of DS9. So I'm mm. on Past Tense Part 2. I was watching that earlier today. And uh, so, 
you know, it gives me time to do that before we start hitting some new episodes and we don't have to podcast as much. So <laughs> what you're saying is all of the new Star Trek was getting in the way of you watching Star Trek. <laughs> in a sense. Yes. Yeah. Because, and also because we do the podcasts, I typically, as everybody knows, who's listened to our episodes, you know, watch it at least twice and mm. sometimes three times I'll watch an episode before the podcast, or I watch it twice and then I watch it one other time, whatever. I mean, I watch it multiple times and then we also do the book club. So we're reading Star Trek. So it doesn't always give me time to go back to some other older Star Trek stuff, which now I have a little more time to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about that as well. Just kind of uh, being able to let it breathe a little bit and, you know, dive into some older stuff before we get into the new stuff. But what we're going to do now is ask everybody to cast your minds back to almost a full year ago, to August of 2021, when this epic run of Star Trek first started with Lower Decks Season 2. And in August of last year, we got Strange Energies, the first episode of Season 2, and the, the following nine episodes that make up the rest of that season. So Lower Decks Season 2, I think, overall built on some of the greatness that they'd gotten in Season 1 and got only better as the episodes went by. I'm trying to think of like what some of my favorite moments from that season are. And I have to say, like my mind goes to the episode, An Embarrassment of Duplers, where we had Richard Kind as the guest star. I, I'm a huge fan of his. I love the characters he tends to play or, you know, love to hate those characters because he tends to play really annoying people and stuff. But to have him in Star Trek, I think, was terrific. Way douche, the second last episode of the season that you remember that one had the uh, crews of the three different ships it was following and then it all came together at the end, I think is just a terrific Star Trek episode, not even just a lo great Lower Decks episode. And of course, the uh, season finale, First First Contact, I think, is a real highlight of Lower Decks second season. So... Bruce, what are your thoughts on some of your favorite moments from that season? You know, it's so sad that I haven't watched it since that season. So I wish I could go back and watch those again real quick to refresh my memory. But some things that just little things pop in my mind, like the Magado, Magudu, Magado, whatever, like, you know, because <laughs> it was playing off the TOS episode where they pronounced it different ways and they were acting like, you know, oh, it's different. You know, there's different ways to pronounce it. I like, love that they called that out. I also love uh, the Cajun episode of uh, that security officer joining. And I really wish we would have gotten more of him. Yeah, for sure. We had little bits of him throughout the season. Of course, Shaxx returned fairly quickly. But I love that Cajun stayed on the ship. And hopefully we get more of him in season three as well. I remember... Uh, yeah, that, that first introduction of him, great episode. But I also loved him and Ransom in, I think it was the episode, The Spy Humongous, chasing the, the packlet around the ship as, you know, this this packlet thinks he's a super secret spy getting all of their, their military secrets. And I think he ends up flushing himself out the airlock at one point or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, great episode. And I love Kayshawn for sure. Yeah, I also love the Tom Paris plate 
collector's yes. plate. That was fun, too. <laughs> I think I do want one, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get one. I think about it every once in a while. I've got those <laughs> shelves behind me that you see in the YouTube videos. And every once in a while, I'm like, should I? And I just, I can't bring myself to. But I love <laughs> that it's a real-life collectible now. Yeah, you know, I just feel like I'm going to forget something that I really, really liked and I'm not thinking about right now. But the thing I do remember about the whole season is it was just as good as the first season. I'm, I don't know if I want to say better, but because the first season was really great too. Mm-hmm. But it was consistent. And to your point, it's Star Trek. You know, there's some good Star Trek episodes in this. Even if you take out the humor, the crazy little silly things in there, there's some good Star Trek stories. And seeing these characters bond even more, especially the primary four characters. And so I, I enjoyed that too. I also want to call out the episode where pleasant fountains lie, where we have the engineer Billups and we learn a bit, a bit more of his backstory and that he's from like that Ren fair planet and the whole, I, I just, I love that episode. I thought that was great as well. So. Yeah. I was just thinking of that one. I was thinking about how weird that one was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and had the, um, the dead giant Spock from the animated series. Wasn't yeah. that in that episode? No, that was in Kayshawn, His Eyes Open. That was the second okay. episode. Yeah. That was in the collection of, of the collector. Oh, guy. that's right. The collection guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes <laughs> sense. I got confused with, yeah, there's just so much good stuff. Yeah. I want to go back and watch these, you know? Which episode was it that had like the car chase through the the Starbase was that an embarrassment of duplers i love that going right through the vulcans 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 yes i love that <laughs> oh man so many great things in lower deck season two I, it's really become one of my all-time favorite star trek series which you know i don't usually like to say favorite so that's why i say one of so that i don't catch myself in a lie but is there anything from lower deck season three to that's sticking out to you as something that you didn't enjoy that didn't work for you oh i thought of something real quick because <laughs> we're saying about duplers i'm i'm on imdb and i'm trying to look at pictures and things like that to refresh my memory like the uh data uh shampoo or, oh, or yes <laughs> bubble bath or whatever <laughs> which uh, that was funny too but now, this really isn't much of a complaint but it just made me think about from this episode we see captain shelby Mm -hmm. And, um, Captain Shelby's first officer is, you know, weird looking alien type. I think that was the alien that they were trying to test with to do for Saru. Yeah. It was like the prototype Saru. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't the first officer she had in the new frontier books. Oh yeah. No. (laughs) So that's my little nitpick there of a disappointment. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. It should have been, you know, she should have been captain of the Trident with, Yes. First officer. Was it, was it Muller was her first officer? Yes. Yes. That's correct. Yeah. Oh, the new frontier books. We should read those. Hmm. I know. I like those books. They're different, you know, but they're, they're interesting for sure. Yeah. There's not a lot I can think of that. I didn't really like from season two. I I just keep thinking of things that I do like. Uh, I excrete us with the Borg queen cameo guest star appearance and uh, Mm. Boimler passing the test trying to get a hundred percent just about getting there and then uh of course captain sonia gomez in the season finale and the 
rescue yes. of the USS Archimedes. All I'm doing is listing things that I liked. I, I can't think of anything I didn't like. I'm yeah, I can't think. I can't think of anything I didn't like either. Was this the season though? We had the naked Boimler spreading his legs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, that one I'm gonna say I I liked, but it was disturbing enough that I could put it also on not liking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to unreservedly put that on my liked list and uh, you can read into that whatever you like, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I love that. I loved how this is going to sound bad, but I loved how triggered that made some people in the fandom <laughs> that they just like were so, <gasps> but I, I love it. I'm sorry. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> what people don't know listening to this is that, I remember when we recorded that episode, I don't know if you talked about on the show or afterwards, but you were like, uh, I could like, I don't want to see that again anytime soon or something like that. And I sent you pictures of it like a couple of times <laughs> just, just to, to bother you. The other thing I do want to mention that I didn't like speaking of Shelby's first officer. I didn't like Riker's first officer oh, as being a, a... Orion as opposed to. I think he was a Saurian. Yeah. Was a Saurian. Okay. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to not being away, uh, Christine Vale from the from yeah. the novels. No, fair enough. Let Let's talk about what we might see in the future of Lower Decks. Here, I'm kind of moving things around, but because we're speaking about Lower Decks now, let's talk about what we might want to see for season three. And one of the things out of season two that I enjoyed was William Boimler, Brad Boim Boimler's transporter clone. So I want, really want him to show up again in season three somehow. Maybe he's, you know, joined the resurgent Maquis or something like that. I don't know. But I would love to see him again. And it also had me wondering about that clip from season three that we saw that shows that the Boimler family owns a vineyard. Does that mean that, like, William Boimler would have as much claim to that vi vineyard as Bradward Boimler would have? Hmm. You know, Ooh, is there now a sibling rivalry there? That'd be cool. Ooh, yes. That that could be cool. I don't know what I want to see uh, outside of what happens to Captain Freeman and information about Rutherford. I don't know. Maybe something with Mariner and the Orion, not the Orion, the Andorian. Oh, Jennifer. Jennifer. Yeah. You know, maybe like some exploration with that type of relationship, whether it's romantic or not. But I just want to see whatever happens with that. I'm trying to think of something. Okay, I do know what. I want to see something that ties in maybe some things from Picard, makes a joke of Picard in some way, or of Strange New Worlds or Discovery. Mm. Like it pokes fun a lot about, you know, TNG. We got a lot of TOS and some DS9 and Voyager and stuff in there. I'd like to see um, some of the new series, even Prodigy. Make me Maybe make a little poke fun at Prodigy in this yeah. thing too. I feel like, uh, I don't know when season three would have been written and all of this. And I feel like it was probably done before Strange New Worlds started coming out. But I anticipate, if not this season, at least sometime in the future, Strange New Worlds is going to make a joke about Pike's hair. It has to happen. That it's just, it's sitting there. It, it's something that they have to make fun of. It'll be season five. 
<laughs> there you go. Because <laughs> they're probably already working on season five right now. <laughs> yeah, the, the length of time it takes for animation is, is crazy. But speaking of animation, we also got our second animated Star Trek series of this new Star Trek era when Star Trek Prodigy debuted. And this one's a little weird because we got the first half of the first half of season one. We got four episodes or five depending on how you count the premiere. Then we got a chunk of Star Trek Discovery, then a chunk of Prodigy, then another chunk of Discovery. That was all kind of mixed up with a few of them overlapping here and there as well. So uh, let's start by talking about Star Trek Prodigy. And this one is probably the biggest departure for any Star Trek series we've seen so far. This one is featuring, of course, as we know, a group of kids that escape from a forced labor camp in the Delta Quadrant and discover the USS Protostar and escape on it. What sticks out to you as something that you really loved from this first season or first half of season one of Star Trek Prodigy? So when you asked me the question, my mind immediately went to, and I can't think of the name of the episode right now, but the one where they went to the planet and we're having all these different like visions and experiences and the vines that were coming and pulling the ship down and, and then Gwen's father showing up and you know, he's choosing the ship over her. That mm -hmm. was like a big pivotal moment for this um, storyline that we got. And I don't know if that was my favorite episode though of the season, but for some reason, when that you just asked that question, that's the thing that popped into my head. Yeah, and that, that was that two-parter, Dreamcatcher and Terror Firma. And of course, that episode, Terror Firma, gave us the little mini cliffhanger when, when Prodigy went away and Discovery came on for a bit. And that was them engaging the proto-warp drive and getting away and yes. all of that. That was a big episode. And yeah, those moments between Gwyn and her father on that planet. That was intense stuff for sure. Yeah. And I would also say the other thing that pops in my head is just the first episode because mm -hmm. it was our first look at this series. And I just remember being very impressed by it. The thing though, that bothers me about prodigy is, and I don't, I don't like this phrase, but it's going to work. I feel like it's going to always be treated as the redheaded stepchild type thing. You know, it's mm -hmm. almost like when we talk about the, the, past Star Trek series, everyone talks about TOS, TNG, DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise. And then, you know, Aaron Harvey has to pop up and say, and don't forget, don't forget about the animated series. You know, like, I almost feel like that's what's going on with new Star Trek. It's like new Star Trek, it's, oh, there's Discovery, Lower Decks, Strange New Worlds, Picard. And I feel like I have to jump up and go, and don't forget about Prodigy, because it's like that side little Nickelodeon and, and people, are, I think, are dismissing like, oh, it's the kids show. But when you watch it, it's not a kids show. I mean, it's appropriate for kids, mm -hmm. but it's just as good as, uh, for adults. And it's really good Star Trek. Absolutely. And I'm reminded of some comments by the people who make the show. Uh, one of the writers, it might have been Aaron Waltke who said this, I can't remember for sure, though, where he was saying, like, we're not making a kid's show. We're making a Star Trek show that can be watched by everyone. And that's definitely what the show is. And I definitely, 
I, I wouldn't say I had low expectations for it or anything, but I went into it thinking like, okay, this is going to be more geared towards kids. I'm probably not the target demographic for this. I'll watch it and I'm sure I'll enjoy it. But I didn't expect to be wowed by it. And I was consistently wowed by it throughout the first the first half of the first season. So from great character moments to moments that honestly made me start to cry about some of the characters. Rock Talk is one character who can just really tug at my heartstrings and make me feel feelings because I just want to protect her with everything I am, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, then really great sentimental moments and moments that make you feel really happy for these kids and stuff. So it, it it's really good. And I think it has some great lessons in there for the younger viewers as well. It reminds me also of Pixar. You know, mm -hmm. especially in the early days of Pixar where people are like, oh, those are little kid movies. But then when you watched like the first feature length Pixar movie, Toy Story, it's like once you watch it, you're like, oh, you know, like you said, I'm tearing up, I'm crying and I'm an adult. You know, you really connect. And now everybody of all ages goes to see Pixar movies, even though they look like maybe they're kind of aimed at, at children or families and stuff. But it really appeals to all ages, and that's how this is. I'm not saying this feels like a Pixar movie at all, necessarily. I'm just saying it has that appeal, like you're saying. It's really for all ages, and it works whether you're you know, a young child or an old man like me. I, no, I'm not an old man. But <laughs> – you know, it's it just really works. And the memories I have of this are all those like main characters and the fact that we have Janeway voiced by Kate Mulgrew. And so the return of Janeway is here. And it's great to see Janeway. I'm sorry, Kate Mulgrew in person, like on the red carpets and at Star Trek events and stuff. And it's like she's back in the fold, you know, mm -hmm. so that's it's cool because that's like a homecoming. And then, of course, we get a little bit of Chakotay in there too. So I'm that's, if you're going to ask me, because you're going to ask me and I'm going to answer it now, what I'm hoping for the rest of the season is to see what happens with Chakotay. There's so much to love in this series and, and the return of Kate Mulgrew to Star Trek is definitely near the top of that list for sure. Some great moments throughout the season. I also want to call out the episode Kobayashi that so creatively used the sound bites from previous episodes to populate the holodeck with Spock and Scotty and Uhura and Odo. And uh, I'm missing a bunch probably, but they also had Dr. Crusher with Gates McFadden playing herself doing new lines for that. I loved it. It was so great. It, that was so much fun. And I think they did that really well. Yeah. See that one though, I have mixed feelings about. Mm -hmm. If you remember when we talked about it, I liked it. But then at the same time, all the sound bites don't necessarily sync up well at times. You know, Spock, you can tell it's like, oh, that sounds like it's from TOS. Oh, that sounds like it's from the movies. And the audio quality varies. So mm -hmm. it starts to take me out of it a little. But at the same time, it's cool, you know? So I like it and I don't like it. But yeah. anything, I'll tell you this, I like it more than I not like it. <laughs> Fair enough, for sure. For me, also, a high point was the episode Time Amok, where the they were all in different time zones, where the time was moving at different speeds. And yes. Rock Talk ended up having to like learn how to solve all the problems because she was stuck there for who knows how long, months, years. That was, oh, 
that episode makes me feel things. I I, I just want to hug Rock Talk. <laughs> yeah, when you mentioned Rock Talk earlier, I thought about that episode, and now you bringing it up again. I think that one might be one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Yeah, I really like that one too. And then also First Contact. You know, I enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed the fact that we were trying to figure out if there's really a dash between con and tact or not. Because <laughs> when the episode came out here in the States, it didn't have that. And then they later put it in. Yeah, they fixed it. To, it, it was weird that it was correct on the non-Paramount Plus services. But yeah, that was weird. Yeah. So all in all, I love that season. And yeah, for or the first half of that season, I have to remember that. The second half of season one is coming later this year, supposedly after season three of Lower Decks. And you said a little bit about what you want to see in that season. I have to agree with you. I'd love to see more. Like we've got a lot of setup for these mysteries with Chakotay. Where's Chakotay and his crew, the original crew of the Protostar? We've got Janeway on the Dauntless looking for them having detected the proto-warp signature is now zipping off. So we see the real Janeway, which that was exciting. And I, I can't wait to see where the, all of that goes. I'm sure we're going to see more of Dahl kind of learning from his mistakes and growing. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people are kind of annoyed with some aspects of his character, but he's on a, he's on a character arc. He's, he's learning things. He'll get there. And Gwyn is a character I'm really fascinated by and to learn more about her and her relationship with her father, reportedly them being the last of their kind and all of that sort of stuff, what all of that's going to mean going forward. So there's a lot for them to play with that I'm excited to learn a lot more about. What I'm the most excited about is, and I'm sure we're going to get this, is just finding out more background material about these main characters. Like, how did they end up on Tars Lamora? How did how did Dao end up there? And and I feel like we found out a lot about Gwen through her relationship with her father. But, you know, just some of these are Alpha Quadrant species that, you know, how did they end up in the Delta Quadrant? And, you know, just a little more information on their uh, background, their past is what I'm really looking forward to. So all of these series that we watched got 10 episodes this time around, except for one, which is season four of Star Trek Discovery, in which we got 13 episodes. So it's on a little bit of a different pace than some of the other shows. In the future, though, I'm, I'm hearing season five and onward, they'll be down to 10 episodes like all the rest as well. But for this time around, 13 episodes of season four. And we got that that season-long arc about the DMA, this anomaly that was wreaking havoc and threatening worlds of the Federation and its neighbors and stuff, and meeting species 10C who are ultimately behind it and that whole first contact mission. So this was an interesting season, I thought. They're in the 32nd century, and it's kind of the first time that, you know, they're there operating as a part of Starfleet. They're not trying to find Starfleet or, you know, in this kind of weird limbo space. They're just another ship that's working for the Federation of this time period, trying to help solve this mystery. What are some of your thoughts or highlights from season four of Discovery? Well, I would say that this season was my favorite. They get better and better each season, in my opinion. 
I like getting to know Tarka, even though he was annoying, but I found him quite interesting. I liked the portrayal that this actor did on him. So that was cool. I love seeing Burnham as the captain and the crew in those snazzy, colorful uniforms. <laughs> and also seeing more of the restart of the Federation and seeing the Federation president involved and seeing more of the interaction between the different members of the Federation and trying to have to come together and agree as to whether they should go and attack species 10 C or not, or do, you know, should we do this and not and see that debate? It's like starting the Federation over again. So I like seeing that involved. So there were some really great moments, especially towards the end. And when they actually went to meet species 10 C, that was really one of my favorite things. Yeah. That whole like high concept sci-fi of them trying to learn to communicate with them from this very basic level and how vastly different from us they are. And I, I also loved that even though we had like this big threat that was existential and threatening all these lives and stuff, it wasn't what they thought, you know, it, it was purely this species 10c doing this thing and they didn't realize the havoc they were creating it wasn't a belligerent act it was just a misunderstanding i really like that aspect of it and the fact that the situation is resolved not by force of arms but by negotiating and communicating and connecting right which was of course a huge theme of the season connection between people and groups of people. So I love that very Star Trek messaging at its core props all around for season four. Like you, for me, it was my favorite season so far and uh, some highlights, the episode, the examples. I still love that episode with Michael gray eyes in the guest star role. There, such a great yes. role for him. Yeah. That one, that one was so much, uh, I have so many feelings about that one. <laughs> that one. I'm glad you mentioned it because a lot of times when I think about this season and I think about, Oh, you know, I wish they do maybe some more standalone type episodes like we're getting with Strange New Worlds. I'd like to see more of that. That episode, the examples always pops in my head is feeling like a standalone episode. And I really like that. It's a good example. <laughs> it is. It is. I also like the episode between Tarka and I can't remember the guy's name, but the the friend that he made mm. and that whole experience yeah. he went to in his backstory. That was a very emotional scene. Or yeah. episodes, I should say. Yeah, his friend. I, I I got very emotional about him and his fate and, and what happened to him and stuff, for sure. I also, for some reason, it pops into my head, even though I didn't think of it as the, at the time as one of my favorite things. But my mind keeps going back to that, to that episode where Burnham and Buck have to play poker against each other. Yeah. To, I don't know why, but I keep thinking about that that and those scenes and that whole episode and, you know, uh, Joanne, oh, wow, oh, oh, Shikun and all. There's so much fun stuff in that episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you just said that because I was going to say that's just a that's a fun episode. It's not like the best episode of Star Trek or the season necessarily, but it's just such a fun episode. And I do enjoy that. That one I wouldn't mind rewatching again soon because it was it was that much fun. Yeah, I agree completely. And I'm also really glad you brought up the uniforms because those are honestly like they're starting to rise to the level of the monster maroons to me. And I'm like, are these now my favorite 
Starfleet uniforms. I don't know. They're really good. I really like them. Yeah, I think they're more comfortable probably than the Monster Maroons. Yeah. <laughs> and I love, again, the variety of different uniforms that we see that they use in in the series uh, for different missions and stuff, depending what's going on. But then I also want to mention, <laughs> just <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think about this one often, but the whole thing of the president of Earth, the Stacey Abrams. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, living in Georgia and that's her home state, you know, around here, you see so much about Stacey Abrams. She's in the news because she's running for office again and all these things. And I text you this past weekend that we were at this kind of funky, weird clothing store in Atlanta and they had T-shirts of Stacey Abrams. I saw posters like I saw various things of Stacey Abrams. And every time I walked by it, I'd say to my daughter, look, it's the president of Earth again. You know, it's just (laughs) it's kind of a weird thing just because I mean, I have mixed feelings about it. I've seen complaints online. I hear people say like, ah, you need to, you know, I'm still not sure if I really like that they did that because I just don't like the idea of bringing a politician into a Star Trek series, especially when they're running for office. And mm. just, but I know she's a big Star Trek fan and I know mm-hmm. she's done a lot of good and everything. So I like that about it, but at the same time, I don't like it while she's running for office. That's, eh. I, I don't want, I don't want my Star Trek to get, don't take this wrong. I know it's political. I know, but I don't <laughs> want it to get into political races is what I'm trying to say by gotcha. endorsing candidates, you know? I gotcha. Yeah. I, I gotta say, like, as from my perspective as somebody watching from Canada, I was kind of like, that person looks a little familiar. They don't seem to be much of an actor. I think they might be some politician or something from the US. That was kind of where I engaged on it until, of course, I went online and saw who it was and, and all of that. So it obviously has a lot more impact or a lot more import to someone, especially like yourself from Georgia, right? So... Uh, yeah, I can definitely appreciate how that would look or how that would make you feel for sure. Well, it was just such a weird thing to be seeing, you know, as mm. it happens. It's like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> like, it really <laughs> took me out of it. But I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoyed it. And knowing how much of a big fan she is, I kind of enjoyed that too. I'm really hoping at some point I do run into her somewhere because I'm definitely going to say, hi, Madam President of Earth. I will Definitely say that to her if I ever meet her. <laughs> you need an eight by ten of like a screenshot of her from the Discovery episode so she can sign it, like you know, like a Discovery actor would. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, I'll say, oh, you're one of my favorite Star Trek actors. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Actually, that brings me to something that I was going to mention earlier, but I totally forgot when we were talking about Boimler with the leg spread thing i wonder and i'm sure someone's done this by now that they have like an eight by ten screen cap of that that they've gotten jack quaid to sign (laughs) i'm sure that's happened i i think that's hilarious i wonder where he signs it though oh i don't know if i want to know the answer to that (laughs) well with that said was there anything else from discovery season four that you felt didn't really work for you that you weren't the biggest fan of well, I do remember Book and Tarka, that whole storyline starting to get old mm. of them trying to stop the DMA and they aren't successful. And then it, I think they're done, but they're still trying. And 
I kept expecting Book to finally come around. It just took too long for him to come around. I, I remember at the time when we were reviewing the episodes saying that, like, you know, really getting tired of Book and Tarka, like, <laughs> you know, mm. that. so that stretched just a little too long. But I like where it ended up eventually. The other thing is the DMA, the term DMA, because that mm. it sounds like DNA sometimes. So that throws me. And as I mentioned on previous episodes, you know, my line of business and media DMA is dominant market area. So I use that <laughs> term practically every day. So to hear them say DMA, it's just always kind of weird. It would yeah. be like watching Star Trek and they're calling some alien race the ESPNs. <laughs> you know, you'd be like, that just sounds weird. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, now that I think about it, I'm surprised that in Star Trek Voyager, they nev- never came across the UPNs or something like that. <laughs> right. They should have. <laughs> yeah. The UPNs would have been great. <laughs> well, I'm going to mention one thing that I was not the biggest fan of in season four of Discovery. And I don't know the reasons for it. I don't still don't really know what's going on there or what's going to happen in the future with it. But the lack of Tilly in the second half of the season and that they had her go off to the Academy. I'm sad that we didn't get her in a lot of episodes. That said, in the final episode, Coming Home, I really loved her part with that and pairing her with Admiral Vance. I thought that was a lot of fun. So... Uh, bringing her back in the finale made me kind of realize how much I missed her in the episodes leading up to it. So I'm hoping that in season five, we'll see a lot more Tilly. Now we have heard from interviews that we will see Tilly in some form in season five. They're kind of hedging their their words there, though. I, I want to see more Tilly. I want her back. So that's just me being selfish and loving Mary Wiseman and her portrayal of that character. So, you know. As some people have theorized, maybe we'll see Tilly not in Discovery, but in another series, maybe the Starfleet Academy thing or something like that. I don't know. But either way, I really want more Mary Wiseman on Star Trek. I agree. I would love to see more of her. But I will say that I did enjoy the episode All Is Possible of her training the cadets, which Mm -hmm. led to her departing Discovery. But I thought that was a really strong episode for Tilly, and I really enjoyed that one. Also with having Adira there, but also, you know, I, I want more Tilly, but I would say at the same time that I really love this crew that when we got to episodes where Tilly wasn't there, I didn't really miss her that much because I was still enjoying the other crew members, but I Mm -hmm. want her there, but it's not like, oh, it sucks when she's not there. The episodes just don't work. I, I don't have that experience. So. Yeah, no, fair enough. And I would say I agree as well. I really enjoyed the episodes, but it was it was when she came back that I was like, oh, right. Where's she been? What's going? You know, I just kind of like, oh, that was missing, you know. So I, I, I really, really enjoyed her in that finale, which made me want her back all that much more. Yeah. And I think Mary Wiseman wants to be back, too. So <laughs> I think we so. shall see. Yes. So what do you think? Any any predictions or hopes for season five of Discovery? Yes. So one of my hopes is that it's not the last season. You're here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will tell you that my hope is what my hope was when you asked me that question going into season four. And that is that I would like to see more exploration of the different 
non-Federation or past Federation planets and Discovery is working to get them to join. I know we're going to get a season-long storyline, but I really was wanting to see Discovery kind of be that we're the flagship of ushering the new Federation in because we're part of the old Federation and we want to show everybody what the Federation used to be and what it could be again and that they're going to different planets and having these little side adventures as they're trying to get planets to rejoin or join for the first time into the Federation. Yeah, that's that's good. I like that 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 pushing that idea of Star Trek and and that whole community of the Federation forward. I really like that idea. Uh, like I said, I I want to see more Tilly. That's that's a big hope for next season. I'm also wanting something that's not a big galactic threat potentially but i'm sure if they do that again it'll be fine i don't know but one thing i'm also really wondering about is saru's role next season as well because he was first officer on discovery this last season because he kind of volunteered for that position but he is a captain so you know i know some of the speculation going into season four was maybe um, Burnham would have the discovery with Stamets as the spore drive operator and Saru would have a different ship with book as the spore drive operator, because we know that he has the ability. Let's shift that forward to season five. Maybe that's a direction they could go for season five or vice versa or whatever combination, right? It would be interesting that, you know, maybe Saru has the captaincy of the Voyager, because they were talking about, you know, she was, the president was determining if Burnham was ready for that. And at first she wasn't. And then she said, you know, now I think you are ready. And Burnham says, my answer would still be no. I want to stay on Discovery. So maybe Saru becomes Voyager's captain or something. That would be interesting. I also think I'd like to see Stacey Abrams return and just have one scene where she says, I'm running for office again. As like hmm. a little wink, wink at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm just kidding. Although I think that would be funny. Uh, but I don't know what else I'd... Yeah, I like your idea about Saru doing something. Yeah, I'm curious to see what they do with Saru on that. Yeah, and I'm curious to know what Book's role will be. Mm -hmm. You know, because he's not part of the crew. So what are they going to have Book doing? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they give these characters a role in the season, what that's going to be. Cause what is Tilly's role? Does she just come back to discovery? Does she leave the Academy and, or does she stay with the Academy, but she just comes on a mission and she get, kind of gets stuck on the ship for a while? Or does she become the new first officer if Saru goes off to do something else? I don't know. I'm trying to think, I haven't given much thought about season five, but I'd like to see maybe, I don't, maybe even I, as much as, as I love the uniforms, they could even like fast forward a little further in the future. Like maybe this season takes place five years after this, you know, this last season and, and we see where things are later and, and they've got different uniforms and it shows that things have progressed and people have been promoted or something. Do something like that would be interesting to me too. <laughs> that would make the folks at XO six doing those uh, one sixth scale Star Trek figures go, Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Keep them busy. Well, from Discovery, we move on to Star Trek Picard Season 2, which overlapped a little bit with the end of Discovery as well. So, uh, yeah, Season 2, we had the adventure of them going back in time to 
2024. That's just two years from now. So, you know, maybe we can go to LA and actually meet Captain Picard, not just Patrick Stewart. But, you know, anyway, uh, they had that adventure sent back there by Q because of the explosion and the very strange, very kind of all over the place season that ended with like some fundamental changes to the Borg. We've got Picard reckoning with some of his past, the end of Q possibly. I I would say ambitious season is how I'd put it. Um, Some disagreement online, whether that season worked overall or not. And I don't know. I, I generally enjoyed it with a few misgivings here and there, but Bruce, what are some standout moments to you from season two of Picard? Okay, first thing that came to mind was Guinan. Just mm-hmm. seeing Guinan again, played by Whoopi Goldberg, and then this other new actress in the role that I don't recall what her name is right now, but I did enjoy her performance of the younger Guinan and uh, Picard running into her in the 21st century. By the way, I was in Los Angeles recently, and I said in previous episode that once I get there, because it's been a little over two years since I've been there because of the pandemic, I thought now I'll be driving around thinking about Picard, but that didn't happen. If anything, Mm. I just drove around going like, wow, I haven't been here in a while. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I really wish I would have had time to maybe go see some sites maybe where Picard was shot, but I didn't get to do that. But yeah, Guinan was a standout. I don't know how I still feel about the whole 10 forward thing that she had a bar (laughs) in the 21st century called 10 forward. But I had my own headcanon to make that work in a way where something about 10 forward in the future, like informs her that she wants to buy this bar that's available on forward street at ex- at address 10. It just feels right. Like something in the universe makes her do that. Yeah. Uh, Ito Agayeri, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, is the actress who played Guinan, by the way. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed seeing Whoopi Goldberg again, like you said, and then seeing this younger actor take up the role. And I think she did a phenomenal job as well. Things I loved from the season myself, the the Stargazer, Captain Rios's ship, and that whole, the first two episodes especially, I think were incredible. Uh, I also have to say Alison Pill this season more so especially when she was playing Agnes early on but also later on as she's doing this kind of Borg Queen Agnes Girardi thing had some really amazing moments and really make me admire her as an actor I thought she was incredible Jerry Ryan as always is a huge awesome part of it and uh, Rafi I loved she was great and John Delancey I mean as much as the storyline seemed kind of weird and didn't make some sense in some areas and stuff, that farewell at the end between Q and Picard, I got emotional about that. I loved that moment. I thought that was such a just beautiful moment. I saw online that somebody had an eight by 10 photo of the hug between Picard and Q and it's you see Picard, the back of Picard's head and Q is hugging him and just the the look of stunned shock on Q's face as they're hugging. Such a beautiful moment. And he got that signed by John Delancey. And John Delancey apparently was so impressed with the choice of photo that according to this person, he um, had to tap 
Gates McFadden on the shoulder and, and show her the picture that he was like so proud that this fan got him to sign it and stuff. What a cool moment. That's, that's so neat. That is cool. Yeah. I was going to mention John Delancey too. And yeah, that final scene that you're talking about that final episode, but I also think as powerful as that is just the first episode of the season two between the two characters and him bringing Picard into all this and showing him what this alternate universe looks like, this alternate timeline, I should say. And, you know, him just like feeling angry and Picard thinking like something's wrong with Q. He's not quite the same Q anymore. I really enjoyed those performances too, those mm-hmm. scenes. Yeah, I, I was blown away by that for sure. So, and uh, yeah, Alison Pill's singing voice too. You know, I'm going to put that yes. as a highlight for sure. Yes, Alison Pill was wonderful in the first half of the season. Well, she was wonderful throughout, but that's probably one of the things I'm a little disappointed about is her kind of merging and becoming like the new Borg queen because I really want more of Gerardi. So anything else from season two of Picard that didn't rate well for you that you kind of didn't think was as good? Orla Brady is wonderful. I just didn't like the choice of having this like Laris distant relative Talon that looks just like her that Picard's always mistaking her. Eh, it was a little bit of a weird thing to me. (laughs) It's just all these things about relatives all looking exactly like each other, (laughs) the soons and all that. It's not really working for me as much anymore. So I wish they'd stop getting, you know, doing that anymore. But at the same time, getting uh, Teresa, the the doctor, Mm, she's mm -hmm. my new Star Trek crush. So that's, (laughs) that's really cool. And those scenes with her and Rios were some of my favorites too. I, I really like those characters together and seeing the development of Rafi and seven and their relationship. And boy, they, they really do need each other (laughs) to get through things. (laughs) Um, But then some other things that didn't work for me, it didn't really bother me as much time they spent in the 21st century, but I know it bothered others. But then when I did kind of go back and do a rewatch, I did think it maybe went on a little too long. So, Mm -hmm. But it didn't really bother me that much. But, oh, yeah, that episode with the cop, the FBI agent or whatever, I really expected he would come back in some capacity. But since he didn't, then it was like, yeah, what was the point of that episode? Yeah, that was the main thing that I was going to bring up for things that didn't work for me was uh, not just that, but but plot lines that kind of came up and then were ended and didn't really figure into the main story or go anywhere. And I think that one was the most egregious example because first of all, I really liked that plot line. I thought that was interesting and I thought that could have brought something really cool to it. But the fact that it doesn't figure in later is really confusing to me and, and kind of didn't work for me. So yeah, there was a bit too much of that in the season, I think where it felt like they had these cool ideas, but didn't really know how to, figure them back into the main plot or or have it mean anything later on, if that makes sense. That said, I also do want to bring up the Will Wheaton, Wesley Crusher showing up as the Traveler in the final episode, which I really hope does come back and figure into Star Trek, not necessarily Star Trek Picard, but somewhere else maybe. I really want to see that followed up on. I really hope that's not something that is just like, that's it. So, you know, I'm tentatively saying that's one of my favorite things. As long as it gets paid off, 
I I don't want them to just like not use that somewhere. Even if it's like lower decks and it's played as a joke, I'll be like, okay, that's cool. That's awesome. I'm glad they set up that joke. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they brought him back as Wesley as a traveler because that is also consistent with what we've seen in the novels. And I like that portrayal of his character. I really do. I think I would have liked that scene better if we weren't seeing Will Wheaton every week on the ready room. Because well, see, and I never watched the ready room. So I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause funny. it just, it, it just felt like, you know, like he's always around on the ready room. And then it's almost, it almost had this feeling like, oh, and then one day he just kind of walked on set because he's like always doing the ready room. And, and the way he was talking just reminded me of him hosting the ready room. You know, <laughs> it was just like, it was a little weird. If it was one of these things where I haven't seen Will Wheaton in a while and haven't thought about Wesley and then he just showed up. That would really blown me away. Yeah, I did see some people criticizing the performance, saying he wasn't playing Wesley Crusher, who was playing Will Wheaton. But I honestly, like, I don't even care. Like, his grin and his excitedness to be a part of that was just too infectious to me. So I was like, I'm on board. I don't care. I love that he's so over-the-top gleeful about this and... Uh, if other people are seeing Will Wheaton there instead of Wesley Crusher, that's fine. We haven't seen him in 20 years. He's changed. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I don't think it was necessarily bad, but it did feel a lot like how he is on the ready room, that same, same enthusiasm and smile. He's always smiling on the ready room. It's just, it did have that feeling to it. That's what I'm saying. If he wasn't hosting the ready room, it probably would have worked better, but it just felt like, oh Yeah. Here he is from the ready room and he just walked on set and said, Hey, I'm also Wesley Crusher right now. But, <laughs> but now I'm glad that they, they brought him into the fold to establish where he is at this time in his life. The other thing is, uh, I know her, her name's not Soji. Who is the, who is she at this point again? Um, Corey. Corey. So I kind of like the whole Corey thing and that storyline with soon wasn't my standout favorite, but it was it was a bit interesting to see how that worked. I was still not really sold on why the queen really needed soon that much, but I mean I kind of get it, but I just didn't think it was all that great. But yeah, it would have been great if Wesley came up to Corey and just said, "Hey, nerd," like yeah. he does on the ready room. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm okay without that. <laughs> okay, but yeah, um, the whole Corey thing and and. Yeah, the the Sung thing got a little old to me as well, for sure. But so season three of Picard, we know is already filmed and in the can, and we know a few things about it. The cast of TNG, for the most part, is going to be returning to those roles in quite a lot of the season, it sounds like. And overall, the season's going to look very different than the first two seasons, I think. Uh, so with that in mind, and, and also I should say a lot of the characters, the original characters that we've seen are not returning for season three. So with that in mind, do you have any hopes or predictions for what we might see in that season? Well, since Elnor is still alive, so I'm kind of grateful we do get Elnor back. I know he's not going to be in season three, but I'm hoping that they say he's back at the Academy and we get a the Starfleet Academy spinoff comes from discovery. I mean, from Picard and then that new Starfleet Academy series features Elnor as part of it. So I know that's not really part of season three, but maybe a little Easter egg in there that kind of mentions him, like it's kind of setting that up would be kind of cool. Yeah. Since we get the, 
TNG cast in here. I don't know what to really hope for in season three, except for that, you know, the fact that we are getting the cast. It would be cool to see some of those cast members interacting with Seven of Nine because, you know, when I watch Voyager, I never imagined that I'd ever see Seven with Jordy, for example, you know, mm. <laughs> and with Crusher or Riker or whoever, you know, or Worf, you know, so that, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to seeing them all in season three. I'm I'm curious what ship they're going to be on. We've seen some of the sets are the same from season one, but the showrunner has told us that's not the Stargazer. So I'm thinking Enterprise, maybe? That would be kind of cool. I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen that season. Uh, really excited for it. I think Worf should come out looking exactly like the Discovery Klingons with no hair and everything just <laughs> to get everybody. No, I'm just kidding. I Worf will look like Worf is what we're told. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know. I mean, I know we're seeing these cast members, but I really don't know what I'm hoping to see in season three. I mean, the fact that we are going to see them, maybe see Picard and Beverly get together i was gonna say that but i don't know there's a lot of picard laris fans so i don't want to make them too mad (laughs) so yeah i'm not sure if i'd want that or not i don't know know. yeah i okay so i i do know something i would like to know i would like to hear why he and beverly didn't get together i mean we kind of know why from season two about the whole he has problems with attachments and the whole storyline as to why but how did that play out did she proposed marriage to him and he say, no, did they ever like start to go down that road? And he pulled away. Is she mad at him about that? Is she okay with him? Did she leave him? You know, like mm-hmm. I'd kind of like to know some of that. I always had this little bit of head cannon that because Picard saw a possible future where he and Beverly are divorced in all good things that he always kind of that that's when he decided to push away and not, put them through that maybe i don't know that's just always been kind of in the back of my mind but who knows yeah that would be interesting to find out i'm sure there's some kind of story there for sure and i think the other thing i'm the most interested in is how this ends because Mm -hmm. this is the last season and this will be the last of picard so how do you end picard not just the series but the character at the very last episode of this series. Oh, I'm so scared. (laughs) I really am. I really am. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how they do that. It's also interesting that this will be the first series of this new era to end, right? Like this will be the the first one that will have a a series finale. So be interesting to see how they do that just from a showrunner point of view. Like how will they will we see how these other shows will end as well? You know what I mean? Like how they will treat that, how they will make that happen. I don't know. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. The first of the new star Trek with a C's with the series finale. Yeah. How do they handle that? I don't know why, but my mind just went to the Nexus. Like they might mm. have Picard return to the Nexus to end his life there the rest you know live out the rest of his life until it's over and he enters the nexus having this fantasy of being married to beverly and having children stuff the life that he passed up before he can live the fantasy of it for the rest of his life in the nexus hmm 
Ooh, to be continued. Let's let's we'll have to see how right we are on this. All right. And then Kirk shows up making eggs. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, we do have one final series to talk about, and this is the one that is, of course, freshest in our minds. It just ended last week. Strange New World season one. This is the the second of, of two new shows that we that we had in this chunk. The the only new live action series that started in this chunk as well. Uh, ten episodes, mostly standalone, with uh, the voyages of the USS Enterprise seventeen oh one under Captain Christopher Pike. Lots of highlights from this season for me. I think just getting to know these characters, both old and new, and seeing them in this era and how they relate to each other. Ethan Peck as Spock has just consistently blown me away week after week with his portrayal. And of course, Anson Mount with his incredible Pike's peak of hair (laughs) leading this crew and just being a terrific Star Trek captain. So many great characters and moments. Uh, I'm not even sure where to begin. What were some of your highlights from season one of Strange New Worlds? Uh, The whole season. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't gush enough about this season. It's it's just been incredible. I, I can't think of anything. I mean, even though if you listen to the last episode, I'm talking about I'm not sure about Paul Wesley as Kirk, although I've been watching a little more of again. Again, it's kind of grown on me a little. But I mean, I just I don't know what to say about this season because it's very difficult for me to praise strange new worlds so much because I don't want it to sound like I don't like the other new Star Trek stuff. Mm. But I think one of the reasons this season or this series works so well is because it's familiar more so than the other Star Trek series. It feels like TOS. It's familiar in that way because as Star Trek fans, we've had Star Trek TOS for 55 years, that format, that ship, those uniforms, these characters, the uniforms, the every, you know, everything about the series, that whole type of format is what we're used to as Star Trek fans for 55 years. And, and of course, not, you know, a lot of us haven't been around for 55 years, or, but in our fandom and whether it's you brought in through TNG or Voyager or whatever, that type of format, that type of storytelling is not what we've been getting from the other series. Those other series are taking those ideas and twisting it and doing it in a different way. Season long story arcs or comedy silliness and like in Lower Decks or making a kid show of, of non-Starfleet characters that are trying to figure out how to operate a ship and be like Starfleet. But this is back to that traditional crew on the bridge of the of the classic ship Enterprise, Pike we've known forever, you know, Spock, of course, forever, Chapel, all these things. And I think that just makes us feel more comfortable because it's what we're used to. But yes, excellent stories, excellent acting, excellent production, everything that goes into it has really worked. But I think because that's the Star Trek we're used to, I think it gets us more excited about it. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I I really enjoyed this season. I think I went into this maybe a little more skeptical than the average fan I've been seeing. I remember that. 
Yeah. I was a little trepidatious, you know, like all the complaints people had about discovery that it takes place before TOS and, you know, are they going to have trouble fitting things in storyline wise and tech wise and all this stuff. And I'm thinking those problems are magnified with this being even more closely tied to TOS. But I honestly think they've hit it out of the park and they've done things with storylines from TOS that I did not expect them to touch. Like to Pring being such a major character through the season, I think was, I'm just going to say it, a ballsy move and it's paid off. I think it works really, really well. And I'm curious to see where it goes. We know where it ultimately ends up, but we don't know exactly how it gets there. And I'm looking forward to seeing that journey. And number one, you know, I really liked the episode that focused on her. I thought we learned some really interesting things and tying that to some of the novel backstory we've gotten from her, I thought was terrific. I mean, really showcasing that these people who are writing this know their Star Trek. It doesn't matter how many people on YouTube get on there and start screaming that the people making Star Trek now don't know about Star Trek, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Proof positive. They like, if they're bringing things in from the novels, they're doing deep cuts. Like they know their Star Trek. So uh, I'm not as worried as I was. I still have some like, I don't know. But for the most part, I'm like, this is in really good hands. And I think they've got some great stuff coming based on what we've seen in this last season. So characters I love, Ortegas. I think people listening to me by now know that I have a huge crush on her. That's just, you know, She's, she seems awesome. I'm waiting for her episode. If I have any criticisms from season one, I'd say the sidelining of number one for much of it. She seems to kind of not be in it as much as I would like. Don't know the reasons for that. There might be very valid reasons for why they had to do that or what. But yeah, for the most part, really enjoying where they're taking it. And I can't wait to see where they take us next. I think they're saving number one for season two. Yeah, with that setup at the end she's going to be front and center for sure i think they had a direction for her and rebecca romaine had made comments early in the season that there's a lot to this character that we don't know of and i think they wanted to they want to explore that and i think they were putting it off first until season two and so maybe they weren't using her as much because if you start focusing on the character you have to you know, kind of dive in to find out more about the character. And so I think they're being a little delicate with that, even though we got some things with her. So I think, and I'm hoping we're going to get a lot more about Una in season two. And then, okay, so your crush is Ortegas. I'm going to say mine is Laon. Because <laughs> mm. nice. she's kind of, she's kind of, you know, confident and tough and, but you know, Chapel's right there behind her. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But I like her character too. I like, I mean, I like all these characters, but I do want to bring up something that I know that you've expressed to me offline, off the show as a concern and not about the series, but what the series could do to future Star Trek. Mm, mm -hmm. Because you had mentioned to me before that if, if people really seem to favor this Star Trek, which like we mentioned is more in the traditional way of Star Trek storytelling has been. Will this inform other Star Trek series and new Star Trek series to now start to follow this episodic format and get away from the serialized stuff and other new creative directions they've gone with Star Trek series? Yeah, it does 
worry me a little bit that this will discourage them from taking risks in the future. And I mean, I feel a little less like this now that the season is over, because I feel like even within this format, the writers of Strange New Worlds have taken risks that I didn't think they would. Like when I referred to it as a ballsy (laughs) move, some of the things they've done, I'm like, okay, they're, they're still taking risks within those confines. But that that concern is still a little bit there that, you know, if the response to this is, oh, yes, this is awesome, more of this, please, that, yeah, we won't get some of those innovations that we have been getting with New Trek. Like, if we'd have started with Strange New Worlds, for example, which I don't think was possible, but if in some universe that had happened, would we have gotten the animated comedy of Lower Decks? Would they have taken that risk to do that? Would we have gotten the season-long arc of Discovery if, you know, they realized that these individual standalone episodes were this well-received, you know? So I worry a little about about that. And I, I think with any experiment, there's risks, and there might be some things that some people don't take to. But I think it's important to push those boundaries and try those new things because you never know, right? And the more varied and the more diverse Star Trek is, both in storytelling and in format, I think the stronger it is. So I really hope those risks continue to be taken. And honestly, I think there is a place in Star Trek for this standalone format, and I'm glad we have this show. So... Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm probably worrying over nothing, but it just concerns me a little bit if they decide to play it safe in the future because of this. I wonder what this series would have been like if it was the first of the new Star Treks. And I'm going to say it may not be as good as it is mm-hmm. because as you start to produce new Star Trek, you start to learn from things. And yeah. so I'm sure the lessons they learned on Discovery... And these other series and the response and the responses they're hearing from fans help to inform them on what to do with strange new worlds, which also helps to inform what the creators do and continue to do on the existing series that have started in this new era of Star Trek. I think when we get to season five and six and maybe seven, depending how far it goes with discovery, I think we'll look back at prior seasons and start to really notice the shift in, you know, how, as we were saying earlier, the seasons seem to get better in our opinion, as each season goes with discovery. And I think we'll start to see how it seems like the later seasons seem to play better. And and what I'm trying to say with by that is I think when I look at the first season, I think it took itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as much fun. We enjoy the characters having fun. We like the serious moments. We love that, you know, the high stakes that they have to deal with, but we also like the hanging out in the captain's quarter as he's cooking food and they're all just hanging out and talking, you know, I want more of that, like in discovery. I want more of that levity between the characters and where things aren't always at high stakes and, and emotions are, are ramping up really high. And, you know, it's like, I want that levity, you know, and those just character stories that, you know, maybe don't have to do with some big crisis going on. Absolutely agreed. Yeah, 100%. I think those are some of my favorite moments here as well. And I think this show really brought that 
back into Star Trek in a big way. So, and I think Lower Decks has too. Well, yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah. So season two of Strange New Worlds, we've got a number of plot points. Like we talked about Una being arrested at the end of season one. We've got La'an off doing this off the books special mission that's not tied to the Enterprise. Uh, we've also potentially, I think Uhura's still there. She was still there at the end of, of the finale. So I, I guess she's, I, I don't know what, what exactly is going on all with that, but what do we see happening in season two? Do you have any predictions or hopes for what we see that season? As I mentioned earlier, I have prediction we're going to get more about number one. And my hope is that it follows some of the things we had seen in the novels. I, I know we talk about her last name, Chin Riley. It's like, where did that come from? Well, we don't really ask that of other characters. Like, where did this person's last name come from? Well, it was just their last name, right? But because I think we've read the novels, it was always indicated as, as if, you know, her name is unpronounceable or difficult to say, or on her planet, it means number one. And so that's why Pike kind of calls her number one, even though she is number one on the ship. And that's why she then goes by Una. But there's always been this weird thing about her name, you know, mm -hmm. because in the Cage episode, in the pilot, we never got a name. So the novels and the comics kind of danced around either giving her a name or almost giving her a name or saying she doesn't really have a name. <laughs> There's always been this weird thing with names. And the fact that they adopted Una from the novels, and then they give her this Chin Riley last name, I'd like to see them kind of play with this idea that, yeah, there's something really mysterious or different about her, and she's got this really interesting backstory, and there's something weird about, you know, why she did she give herself the name Una because it means number one, from the plant she is. So I'd like to see them kind of play with some of the things we saw in the novels and comics. So that's one thing as a literature fan of Star Trek, <laughs> I'd like to see kind of work. It doesn't have to be exact, but kind of play in the, in that kind of sandbox. That sounds cool. Yeah. I I'm really curious. She's, she's always been an enigma, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm would love to learn more about all of that. Uh, I want to see, I didn't, expect this to be something I want to see. But after this season, I want to see more Chapel and Spock. I want to see where that all goes. Yeah. And of course, the other thing that we saw at the end of season one is Spock losing control a bit. He doesn't have that tight rein on his emotions. So where is all that going to lead? How does he... Well, we, we can probably figure out how he becomes the more emotionless Spock that we see. But what leads him to that decision? What brings him back to be able to get those under control and make that choice to be more Vulcan as we see in TOS. And uh, also I'm curious about Laan. We got a glimpse of her seven years in the future and she's very changed, right? She's let her hair down literally and figuratively. She's much more personable. She's a hugger. How does that journey get you know what do we see her go through over the next while to get to that point if that still is in her future at this point so yeah. love to see all these characters develop and I, I love that they're not static they're changeable and we're gonna see this development and what is Laan's relationship to Khan yeah exactly beyond yeah. what we've been told so far yeah yeah I'd like to know more about that, and I also like to know who the new chief engineer is going to be mm -hmm. <laughs> and that will be interesting. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. And I also want to know what role Bruce Horak is going to play. Whether that's, and somebody pointed this out in that interview, they say Bruce Horak is not done with Star Trek. They don't say Strange New Worlds. They say Star Trek. So he might not be in season two of Strange New Worlds. Maybe he'll play some character on Discovery or something. Yeah. But either way, I want to see what's up with him because uh, I think he was so good as Hammer. I really want to see him back in Star Trek just doing his acting thing because he's so great. <laughs> yeah, I thought about how I was thinking he would come back in some capacity in Strange New Worlds based on that interview and that article, That, but I didn't even think about how it didn't specifically say Strange New Worlds. So yeah, we could see him associated with any of the other Star Trek series. We Yeah, I have no idea. I'm curious. Now I'm going to be watching for him every episode of every Star Trek until he shows up somewhere. So Maybe, maybe the mysterious eighth, season, eighth series they're working on is actually Star Trek Hammer, and it's like a seven-season backstory all about Hammer. <laughs> I doubt that would be it, <laughs> but we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> maybe it'd be Section 31. <laughs> well, the other thing, though, I'd like to see is Kirk. How does Kirk fit into this? Now, we saw him in this alternate timeline, you know, in, in this last episode. But now we know Kirk's going to be in season two. Why is he there? What's he doing? And I'd like to see what his relationship with Sam is like. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see more of that. Because you could go in different directions with that where you could say, okay, the relationship he has with his brother kind of mirrors what his relationship with Spock eventually gets to be like, or the relationship that he has with his brother doesn't really become like a, is not really a good brother relationship, but that's something he gets later with Spock and McCoy. Like Spock, like we see why Spock and McCoy become more of his family because his he and his brother just never really clicked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, yeah. I don't know, just little things like that. Like, I just see what they want to do with that character. Yeah, that would be really interesting for sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see all of those developments and, and little hints about the future and stuff for sure. So uh, of these five series we've gotten over the past 48 weeks, I think we said, what is your maybe favorite moment or favorite standout thing from this chunk of Star Trek? Wow. Uh, that's a difficult question. I guess what immediately came to mind is the premiere of Strange New Worlds and Prodigy, because mm -hmm. I wasn't sure exactly what we were going to get. I mean, because, you know, we had Lower Decks and Discovery and Picard, so we kind of knew. But to watch those first episodes was like, oh, okay, I see where we're going and I like it, you know? Yeah, and, and they stand on their own and they're different from the other series. So that's like a standout moment to me when I think about the past 48 weeks is the premiere of those two series and seeing how different they are. My answer would be very similar to yours. The fact that, you know, those two new series both arrived and they were both so well received by fans, I think is huge and uh, pretend some great things for Star Trek's future in general. I would also say the first episode of season two of Picard with the reintroduction of Q and the stargazer and all of this. I remember the excitement at the start of that season 
with uh, all of the plot elements coming together there. And, you know, and I know as the season went on, some people became a little bit more disenchanted with how it was going, but I definitely remember all of the stuff online, not just in Star Trek circles, but in like mainstream news circles and stuff talking about, you know, all this crazy stuff happening in Picard and what's going on and all this stuff. So that really sticks out to me is like, I remember the fandom being really loud at that point for sure. But uh, yeah, Prodigy and Strange New Worlds, I think, for what they mean to the future of the Star Trek franchise, I think are standouts from this last 48 weeks for sure. This is a strange standout that also hit my brain, and it's such a minor little thing. But the introduction of Q, and we see Q as he looked at looked like in TNG for that mm. moment, that brief moment when they de-aged John, John Delancey, I think because... When going into Star Trek Picard, it's a look back at this character that we know from TNG, but we're really not getting anything TNG up to this point in season two and season one that are related to TNG. And then to see Q return looking like he did in TNG was just kind of like this going home thing. Like, oh, we're back to TNG just for a brief moment. Yeah, I like that. Well, Bruce, when we're not reminiscing about the past 48 weeks of Star Trek, where can people find you online? Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. And then you can also find me on Instagram at just Admiral Rex, no underline. And then, gosh, I'm not doing as much anymore. I can't talk about my other shows, my other podcasts. I guess that's where I am online outside of, of course, being in our Facebook discussion group and also in our Goodreads group. Excellent. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S, youtube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. You can find the podcast, like Bruce said, in Goodreads and in our Facebook group. You can also reach us positivelytrek at gmail.com and you can help support the show at patreon.com slash positivelytrek. Thank you so much to all of our Patreon supporters. We really do appreciate everything you do to help us bring this show to you each week. We will see you again next week on Positively Trek. And until then, as always, stay positive. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.